Mariners Mojo, the heartbeat of baseball here, joined by Jordan Schusterman from Cespedes Family Barbecue. How's it going, man? I am great. Thank you so much uh, for having me. I'm I'm excited to be talking to you a couple days into the season. Mariners are over 500, and I'm feeling good. I know anytime we can talk Mariners with anybody, it's a good time. So I'm looking forward to this. Absolutely. Yeah. I you know any uh, <laughs> once the games start, you you're reminded of of just how much you really care. And, you know, we can, we can talk about our, our fandoms, but, uh, but yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go in whatever direction you, you so desire. So have you like always been a Mariners fan? Yes. Yeah, so, uh, no, if we're going like always, you know, did I grow up? No, no, I have, I actually have no, really have no Seattle ties whatsoever. Um, I grew up in the, uh, DC Metro area in Maryland and the Nats were, really bad and really lame when I was growing up when they came back when they when they moved to DC in 2005 I was 10 and I was like all right well this team's terrible and it's not really interesting and I didn't care about the Orioles so I didn't really have a team for much of my youth I mean I like baseball I like basketball and then like really high school like early high school when I was really really getting into baseball again um I was honestly well Felix Hernandez is probably the number one reason because he was my favorite pitcher um and so i was just watching a lot of him and just you know falling in love with everything that he was about and then partially because of that i was also reading a lot of lookout landing uh especially when jeff sullivan was there and so i was reading lookout landing all the time and then i realized well damn like i i want to i like i just like following this team even though they stink um and then i just kind of picked them up and then you know Eight or nine, ten years later, here we are. That is that's gotta put you in a rare class of mm-hmm. guys who came into being a Mariners fan in the what? So ten years ago, like twenty ten. Pretty much pretty much maybe a little bit later than that. Right, exactly. Everyone's like, Oh, it's Ichiro, it's Griffey, it's ninety five, it's it's like I mean, look, obviously I love Ichiro too, like duh, right? I love Griffey too, <laughs> duh, right? But I'm not going to lie and say that I was around for any of that. So partially because of my age and partially because it's just like, this is not true, but yeah, I am. I am. I am a weirdo in that sense. Absolutely. So it's only been like 10 years, eight years, like you mentioned, Mm -hmm. other than Felix, was there like an underrated guy on the Mariners that you felt drawn to? Mm, Great question. Uh, Franklin Gutierrez. I loved, Um, I mean, he was obviously just such a, just, you know, great when he was on the field really peaked there briefly, but it was just, he just couldn't, just couldn't stay on the field. Uh, So Goody definitely stands out. I mean, there were some really bad Mariners that I liked. The Carlos Pagueros of the world uh, were particularly, I would say memorable. Um, Unieski Betancourt is another really terrible Mariner that I was especially fond of. Uh, John Jaso, of course, who, who's much more connected to the, the the Felix era. I was a big fan of. I mean, the pitchers, like, you know, you know who I, you know who I kind of like. Obviously, Will Helmson when he was at his peak was great. Um, but on the freaking Yan- Lucas Lidke, back from the dead, <laughs> I just can't even believe it. I, I can't, I can't fully like grasp the fact that he's now like the second lefty out of the Yankees bullpen. It's very weird. So anyway, there's a few a few uh, random ones, but Felix was, you know, obviously far and away the driving force. Yeah. And I think the bartender was, there was a lot of people that were fans of him. I don't know if it was just kind of around Seattle because of the nickname or mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. him and, and Charlie Furbush. I like Charlie Furbush a lot too. So there's yeah. another one. I, I like the Franklin Gutierrez one. Cause that was my wife's favorite player. Mm-hmm. What he was in. It's like, Oh, we got to go see Goody. It's like, okay, we'll go down to a Mariners game. That's fine with me. <laughs> yeah. He was, he was a blast. And I believe he's, he's back in the organization. I think. Yeah. They, it seems like they've been doing a good job at getting guys with ties in there mm-hmm. to help in some fashion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And finding ways to insult them too. Uh, you know, with, with old, good old Kevin Mather. So, you know, really special Mariners uh, <laughs> organizational culture, which hopefully is on the way up which I believe it is. I wanted to talk to you about, like, what did you think when all the Mather stuff came mm-hmm. out? Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. So again, this is another example of, of a story where um, at the time I knew like, wow, this is going to be nuts, but I don't think I fully grew 
when I first saw it and was reading and watched it. And I felt like I saw it and was seeing the tweets and was like, and watched the video. I got to watch the whole video before it got taken down. Um, I feel like I was underestimating how big it was actually going to end up getting. Like I, like I didn't realize it would be the story of baseball for the next, whatever, you know, 48 to 72 hours. Um, but yeah, it was just a stunning display of, I think the point that I've, I've made out of the matter thing is it was as I was almost as offended by the stupidity as I was by the actual offensive things that he was saying. Right. How can you say something that like without thinking about it, that it's so dumb for the, for that long. Like that's the thing, right? We've heard a lot of people in baseball and positions of power you know, the commissioner, of course, saying a you know, hunk of metal, GM saying things that are probably not kosher, owners saying things that are like so far, like no perspective, like no feel, right? But those are like one-off lines, right? Those are usually like like maybe just terrible phrasing or bad context or whatever, right? And, and those deserve to be criticized. This was just an hour straight of unfiltered, just no, just like, you know what? I'm just saying it. It's like, all right, dude, if you're this comfortable saying it, clearly that, that says a lot about just like your position and the kind of person you are. And I think that was kind of doled out when you read the reporting from people like Ryan Divish who were like, yeah, no, he's, this is just what he is. So uh, it's good that he's finally gone. It is, was very embarrassing and frustrating, especially the timing. It was right the first day of spring training. Last thing you want to be thinking about. Uh, but I'm glad they moved past it. And I, I do hope that, that the org can kind of, recover from it in whatever way they can do you think if kelnick would have stayed healthy in spring training with everything that was going on with him and like uh mm-hmm. dropping a bomb during the interview where it's like oh players gonna <laughs> show us when they're ready do you think they would have had to bring him up if he was healthy yeah it's a good question so this is the, the my main thing with kelnick's been like the matter thing really made it particularly egregious because he said like this is what we're doing because the thing is, is that he his situation was not like Chris Bryant, Vlad Jr. You know, pick your guy who had shattered every, you know, AAA pitcher's dreams for a full season. Like, the dude played 12 games above AWOL. And, like, do I think Jerry Kelnick is ready? Probably, yeah. You know, does he look like the best player on the field? Yeah, he does, right? But, like, re- it would not have been insane to just be like, look, we just wanted to go to the minors and just play for a just like just go crush the miners as we expect you to do and then we'll call you up and then while you could still say oh the best player deserves to be on the team that would at least be plausible deniability with your service time nonsense right but instead it was like oh yeah we're doing service time (laughs) i was like well okay this is so stupid so to answer your question i don't know if there's anything that he he really could have done especially because as we've seen they really want to see what they have in tramel which i think is very important um, and Fraley, of course, like we know Kelnick is going to be the most important part of the team long term. Um, I think it's absurd for any team to be worried about 2027 for literally any reason. Uh, and I think that it's a broken system and they're just working within a broken system and that baseball as a whole needs to fix that. So I don't blame them for being mad. But uh, the thing that just sucks is that there's no minor league games right now. Um, and that, that's what's really frustrating is, is that's when I kind of flipped and I was like, look, man. If he can't go, it'd be one thing if he could go to AAA this week, right? And start, just go straight, boom, start crushing it. And then we call him up on April 20th or whatever. But it, it sucks that he can't be competing until May. You know, he'll go down and do whatever the hell the alt, or I guess he's not even at the alt site, but whatever, like they're doing in Arizona. But I just don't know. I just don't know uh, what, <laughs> I, I, I doubt it, I guess would be the answer. Uh, mostly because I think they just want to see what the young guys a little bit ahead of him, like Tremel really wanted to see. You mentioned 2027 and having to fix that. Is that kind of like not really a bright spot, the right way to say it, but you don't have to worry about any of these guys being angry at you really until 2027. So is that <laughs> going to kind of help in the long run? It's like, yeah, we have six years for these guys to forget that we talked crap about them and tried screwing hey, them over back then. You say that, but you don't have to look farther than the Chris Bryant situation in Chicago, which he clearly is still not on, not on the best terms with with the team and i i doubt they you know work an extension out now that's a weird thing too right because he ended up having that last extra year which is this year 
coming off of a disaster 2020 to where it actually maybe helps him, right? If he went into free agency this past winter under the, you know, it, but it further underscores the point that it's like, it's absurd for any teams to be planning for any reason. And here's the other thing. When you hear it from ownership talking about Kelnick and ownership wanting to keep the players down because we want to have the all-stars as long as we possibly can, I understand it from their perspective. But if I'm Jerry DePoto, this is the thing that we don't know, right? If I'm Jerry, obviously he also is going to say, you know, we want him to work on this stuff. But it's like, if I'm Jerry and I also am looking for contract, like stability too, right? As far as we know, Jerry's not, he's somewhat on the hot seat relatively. Like if I'm Jerry, I need to win as soon as possible, which means I probably want Jerry Kelly on my team as soon as possible too, right? So if he's to believe that, I don't know why Jerry would have way less of a reason to be worried about 2027 than ownership would, if that makes sense. Um, and, but sometimes it's it's above his decision. You know, sometimes clearly owners are like, no, if you're not going to extend him, like Kevin Mather, unfortunately said, uh, then we're not going to call him up. And that's, that sucks. Now, I don't think that that's going to ruin their relationship. I mean, to your point, you're kind of right. Like, I think everyone's going to be like, oh, Kelly's going to force his way out of Seattle. It's like, no, like, that's not <laughs> That's not how it works. He's like, he's still going to like his teammates. He's nothing against the coaching staff. It's, it's such a bigger problem than that. So it was a terrible look, obviously, but I don't think it's going to really have that much of an impact uh, once he finally gets there. So with, with the Poto, is it kind of like uh, the Sixers thing and Pinky? It's like, yeah, we're rebuilding, but you can only rebuild for so long mm-hmm. and people get tired of them. Even if the owners tell you, it's like, yeah, it's fine to do this, but after so many losing seasons and, number eight to 12 picks or whatever they kind of get tired of it right great point i've actually thought about this comparison exactly now the difference is that like this rebuild has not actually been going on very long um and i know it feels like it because they got bad so fast and they traded everyone so quickly uh but this is not an astros cubs situation where you go or orioles and pirates now right that's not what's happening it's been two years right it was two terrible years and now they're hoping to – maybe they're not going to be in the postseason this year. I don't expect them to be, but they're hoping to not be terrible this year, right? So it felt very sudden. It felt very harsh, and obviously they had some other bad seasons mixed in there, but it's not the same thing. Now, to your point, um, it's obviously much bigger than that. That's the difference because in Seattle, it's it's more than Jerry's tenure. It's t- almost you know 20 years now, right? So they've been bad since you were in what? Exactly. They've, I, I have never seen them be, I mean, I, I watched them be whatever one game out in, in 16 and 18, but it's not the same thing. So it's a much bigger pressure that goes way farther back than, than DePoto's tenure. Um, but to that point, I mean, again, I, I, I've said this all off season, like I do believe they're done going backwards. Like, and that's part of why I think fans were really pissed about how they spent their winter, which is, no, I'm not expecting or want them to go sign Trevor Bauer or sign someone for a ton of money, but like go do something closer to what the Royals did, where you take your team that's like kind of in the middle and you can clearly afford a average payroll and put some decent, competent major leaguers around your young team. That's signing like a Trevor Rosenthal type, right? Or like some more relievers or, or bringing big Taiwan Walker too, like stuff like that. Like, and I, I love that they got the Paxton deal done and I'm so excited to watch him this season, but they could have done, so, and they said, Oh, well, we tried to sign La Stella. We tried to sign Colton Wong. It's like, yeah, but like do it, like just get to that money. Your payroll's still going to be well below the average team. And you're actually putting yourself in position to maybe sneak into a wild card spot if everything really goes well. Whereas now you're just counting on so much to get right that um, it's harder to feel as good uh, from the fan base. But um, it's frustrating though because the same thing. Like back to Depoto, like and back to who do we blame, Depoto or ownership? Since ownership is usually so far behind closed doors, we always get mad at the GM. And so many of those things are just the budget that they are given. You know, when I talk about the small market teams in Cleveland and Tampa, it's like, yeah, is that bad for baseball for them to having $30 million payrolls? Of course it is. That's bad. I hate that. We, we need to do something about that, obviously. I'm not going to get mad at the really smart people who work in Tampa and Cleveland who are still somehow making good baseball teams. Like, that's <laughs> that's really impressive. Um, and so and a lot of times they're, they're just operating within what, they, what they're given. And, and sometimes that is problematic. I really wanted to see him sign a couple guys, especially with looking at that budget. And one of the things that's crazy is, I'm not sure if you know or not, but do you know who the fourth highest payroll person on the Mariners was this year? This is a great question. Okay, so if you bear with me here, because I am going to... So, I think this was before Paxton was signed. Oh, okay. So before Paxton. Okay. 
Yeah. So before Paxton. So the highest paid player on the Mariners is obviously Kyle Seager. Yeah. The second highest paid player on the Mariners is, wow, hold on. Is number four Evan White? No. no. Okay. All right. Sorry. Cause I, cause he would have signed the extension. Okay. So who else? So Hanniger would probably be, I mean, he's second to last year of ARB. He's probably at like four mil. Is Hanniger even in the top four? Well, I'll let you know. It's a trick question. Yeah. Oh, is it Robinson Cano? <laughs> yes, it is. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But hey, are we complaining about that deal? No, because they got to cut their payroll by what was it? Yeah. Six percent or whatever after you got suspended. Yeah, and they got right. And they got uh and obviously you attached Diaz done. and you get coming. Although the thing about <laughs> it's so funny because like obviously that's that's a great that that trade literally saved the franchise and it should not be uh understated. Um but the last couple of years, even when Diaz has been struggling in New York, I've been like, man, I wish we had Edmund Diaz because <laughs> the bullpen is <laughs> so bad. It's like and we've already experienced it, you know, in the last few days. You know, it's just like you you forget. Of course, I'd rather have Jared Kelly. Like, duh, right? But it's just it is funny how much you miss it when you go from having essentially the best closer on earth to uh, what it's been lately. Yeah, and we went down there Friday night, actually expecting to see like because when we got our tickets we're expecting to see paxton it's like oh we get to see him back this is awesome and instead we don't get to see him and we watch him blow it <laughs> it's like this is this is a rough night to go down to yeah play. yeah that was the uh the what second rider show it was a real a real good time but you know what yeah. again like that's it's it is frustrating because last year when the bullpen was so bad it was like I, I was so ready for that going into it, but the better your team gets, the more infuriating the bad bullpen becomes, right? Because when you have all the other pieces and it's like, wow, like the offense is like competent and like, wow, like the starting pitching is like legitimately solid. And like this year, you can really look at everyone in that rotation and have something positive to say about everyone. Um, and that has not been true for a long time. But that's the thing; those those bullpen losses just become so much more painful when you kind of see the rest of the team kind of falling into place. So, I I want to ask you about because we've talked about Kelnick a little bit, like the outfield going forward, mm -hmm. and it's kind of nice, I guess, that Lewis is out because you get to see Frey right. and Trammell. Right. They're going to have a log jam soon. Yeah, man. I mean, I've this is something I've thought about obviously a lot. And it's one of those things that that usually works itself out. And too many good players is never a bad thing, has never been a bad thing, will never be a bad thing. You just have to look around the league and, and see how, how deep the good teams are. Um, and you realize how important it is to just have a lot to have a log jam. Great. That's awesome. <laughs> if they all turn out good, we're feeling we're feeling wonderful, you know, and it is difficult to find that play. Now, the challenge, of course, to your point and why it's like weirdly OK that Lewis is out is that, you know, you get to see these guys and they get to get the reps because that's the biggest challenge in this period is uh, how do you get them all playing time to get that development and also figure out who's good while also making sure you're still trying to win. Like it's hard. It's really, really difficult. And when they traded for Trammell, who is like one of you know, my best friends in baseball. Cause he's, I mean, we've been very fortunate to meet a lot of players in the game and Taylor Trammell is like one of the nicest, coolest people in the world. I was like, Oh my God, this is the coolest thing ever. But then I was like, I, where does he fit? You know, where does he, how does he fit? If we have kind of the unanimous rookie of the year and then the two best outfield prospects in baseball, you know, most teams would be excited to be like, all right, Trammell, boom, here you go. Here's the job. And that's what they did this year. Cause they want to find out what they, what they have in him. And I believe that, um, but it's hard. At Tremel, I think you could see kind of working into like the Brett Gardner role of the Yankees, honestly, um, where you have a guy that is maybe if it's a platoon guy, maybe it's a guy that's like clearly a three and a, like not a fourth outfielder, like a three and a half outfielder, if that makes sense, <laughs> where like he's playing, you know, 400 plate appearances and whatever. And listen, I love Julio. I think Kelly's going to be awesome. Like the timelines still don't line up perfectly. And these are good problems to have. If they have too many. If they have two, and this is true with the starting pitching too, right? All those young starting pitching. It's like, okay, great. If Justin Dunn figures it out, if Chris Flexen is actually good, 
Wonderful. Like we've, and then you go back to five in rotation. Awesome. You, it's not like Japoto's going to have a problem trading for someone, right? Maybe that's how you go get a reliever. Maybe that's how you go get a position that you don't have. Develop good players as many as you can. If there's a log jam, that is great. That is wonderful. We want it to all knit, you know, fit neatly in our head where we look at every position and be like, that's that of the future. That's that of the future. It's never going to work out that way. So we just have to hope that everyone gets the time to develop, gets the time to succeed. Because like odds are some of, you know, one of, I hate to say this, but like, look at the pitchers. Okay. Gilbert, Hancock, Kirby. It's like, isn't that all going to work out? That's not how baseball works. It never, never works out that way. So as, as, as fun as it is to have this awesome farm system, <laughs> there's just no way they're all going to be good. There's just not how baseball farm systems work. So you just kind of have to amass as much as possible and, and hope that it all kind of lines up when you are ready to actually compete. And the thing, like it does hardly ever work out. It's not everybody gets to be the Braves mm-hmm. in the '90s and have those three mm-hmm. guys come up and just mm-hmm. lights up. Or, and by the way, I'm actually glad you mentioned the Braves because think about the Braves. I don't know how f- closely you followed them, but if you looked at the Braves a couple of years ago and you looked at their starting pitching depth, like prospect wise, and it was like, oh my god, they have like they have like twelve insane. starters. Like, how are they going to find innings for these guys? It's like, okay, well, actually, what if they? Re- who do they really have? Because there was like 12 dudes where everyone was, was you know, you know, top guys were old Kyle Wright and Tukey and Ian Anderson. It's like, okay, well, it looks like Mike Soroka is really good. Max Reed is really good. Ian Anderson is really good. And the rest, we still have no idea, right? And so that's going to happen with the Mariners too. It's easy to be like, wow, there's a six-man rotation. We're excited about all of them. And then when's go? Oh, how are we going to fit Gilbert? And then Kirby and Hancock. It's like, listen let's just get as many let's hope that a half of them turn out to be as good as we hope and then we'll be in a pretty good place i remember all those braves prospects doing like minor league drafts it's like i'm not sure to take this round i'll just take a brave starting pitcher because chances are they'll be decent or Mm -hmm. valued well and it's like i can just Mm -hmm. go there Mm -hmm. yeah bryce wilson i didn't even mention him he was you know starting in the postseason so they have so many and that's again that's that's what you want right because especially with pitchers you're gonna have so many injuries and whatever um, and with the hitters, like, again, if, if they if they actually have a jam and they actually have a guy that's, like, valuable, um, great. <laughs> that's fine. I mean, the real the real <laughs> question, and for this year in particular, is Hanniger, right? Um, I think he's their best player. I think he's going to be back to near all-star form this year. He's got another year on his contract. And then, I don't know, like, do, if, if he's... I mean, realistically, you know, best case scenario, if they're sort of in it or around this year, around 500, the best outfield is probably Kelnick, Lewis, Haniger, right? We're not, I love Julio. I'm not really expecting much from Julio this year. So if we, you know, put that to the side, okay, if someone's offering two top 100 prospects for Haniger at the deadline and you're a 500, like, I don't know. Like, what do you do? Because I, I, I have no, I, I, it would be very difficult there. Same thing with like a guy like Dylan Moore, right. Who's a little bit older. And it's like, is, are you, is Dylan Moore just Austin Nola for the infield? Like, is that how we're treating him? Is he, or is he actually part of the future? I know he's a little bit younger than Nola was, but those are the questions that are going to be really tough. Um, and how DePoto decides to navigate that is going to, is going to make a big difference at this point. I very much doubt they get moved. Uh, unless those guys like Kelnick and, and Tramel are so clearly also major league ready, because I don't think he can afford to keep going backwards. Um, so that would be my guess. But if they're if they're really bad and, and they know they're going to still be in a good position to be good in 2022, even if they make those trades, then I think you know Jerry will pull the trigger. But that's what I'm most fascinated by in terms of that kind of movement. And I was thinking about the best mm-hmm. case, worst case. And I really think like worst case scenario is the Mariners are sitting at or just above 500 and they don't trade anybody away and then they leave and we end up next year missing the playoffs again and getting nothing. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) as I watch the angels right now, that's really they're in a much, uh, much more precarious position in that regard, because in terms of leaving, like again, Hanniger's under contract. So, I mean, there's Seager, there's, Paxton, right, as the as the one year guys, um, and yeah. maybe there's a couple others. I'm trying to think who else would be a free agent after this year, um, but I don't think it's I don't think it's that bad. But to your point, right, it, it's like well, it would be easier to just be bad 
and do one more round of trades. But I don't, I don't know. I really don't think that the that the fan base would stomach that again. If they're if they're at five hundred, I think you kind of owe it to the team to try to put to be a winning season, whether you make the postseason or not. And then maybe you move them in the offseason based off of like, okay, we're still going to be ready to rock because Kelnick's going to be an all-star next year anyway. He's going to be starting on opening day. You know what I mean? Like you kind of have to – I think if they're at 500, I can't imagine them selling. Um, but it's, it's, it's really hard to say, man. It's really hard to say. That's why I kind of hope that like Hanniger and Seager mm-hmm. are hitting well. They're – 40 and 55 or whatever and it's like okay we can obviously like that send these guys out it's mm-hmm. fine because right. we're not making the playoffs is that the best uh, probably although again like in Hanniger's case it's so tough because like so much of their team is so young and like you're dreaming on it but like to have a guy that's just a freaking all-star just on your team right for all we love about Lewis and Kelnick at like just one sure thing is so valuable, even if he's going into next year uh, as his last year of his contract. And, and I would say also like culturally, like he's the kind of guy that if you trade him, that's obviously the the youth of the team. They want to have those, those at bats experience, but like he seems to be such someone that everyone in the clubhouse respects and appreciates so much that moving him would be so such a big deal and such a bad sign, I guess. But you're right. Like it probably like me looking at it like super duper, like cold heartedly, <laughs> you're probably right. If they're, <laughs> if they're 15 games under at the deadline and Seager and Hanniger both have legit value. Yeah. Yeah. You probably do move them. Um, but it, <laughs> they're going to have to be really far out of it for that to not really suck. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. You've talked about like you just getting one of these guys to hit mm-hmm. or show up and be like what people think is what it's going to be. And you got to remember with Hanniger, he was the fourth best yeah. guy in that trade. Yeah, brought him to exactly. Seattle. And that's the thing. And we, we don't even know, you know, when these trades happen, you just, you just have no idea exactly uh, <laughs> the directions that they're going to go. And, and the thing about Jerry's trade record, which I have, which I have certainly tracked at, to an obsessive degree is that when you make that many trades, you're going to have some, some big, big wins and you're going to have some big L's, you know, and, and you, you, there's just so many names, even that you forget about like Frey Peralta, who's now like one of the best relievers in baseball was in, was for Adam Lind, you know, like, <laughs> like there's some crazy trick. Jake Brent's a guy that just debuted for the Royals the other day. He's a lefty throwing a hundred. He's finally made it. And he's, he was in a DePoto trade at some point. Like, and of course, you know, Chris Taylor, right. We all know about Chris Taylor. Like, but there's, there's some yeah. huge wins too. Obviously the Kelnick and the Kelnick one is, 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 you know, possibly one of the best trades of in all of baseball for, for a long time. But, but I think he's done really well. I mean, even the Marco trade, of course, right? And I like Tyler O'Neill, but that's that's still looking pretty good. So it's it's just so much and and it's 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 hard to really uh to really gauge. Um but you're right, man. We we just don't know. We just don't know exactly uh what 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 <laughs> what direction he's gonna go. I, I it's gonna be really tough this year, but I would rather them be at five hundred and not trade anyone else at this point, to be honest. What about the other trade that he made with the AL East and sending out Segura mm-hmm, and getting Crawford? Mm-hmm. Like he, he's a poor man's Anderson Simmons. Yeah, right now, something right? like that. I mean, it's a little bit different because I mean Simmons at some point. Well, listen, Simmons at his best, there's no one close. And as awesome as Crawford is, and I believe he's probably you know a top five to seven defensive shortstop in baseball, Simmons is a different you know stratosphere. But I will say that. The thing with Crawford and what will really determine how, and I think it's a, I think it's a great trade no matter what. And I was underwhelmed by it at the time because I was just skeptical of Crawford. But him turning into this kind of defender means that, like, great if he's going to hit eighth, awesome. If he can actually translate what is a very well above average plate discipline, you know, approach, um, then maybe he can bat lead off. But 
I just he just cannot I just cannot see him like impacting the baseball enough to ever really be an above average offensive player. Whereas like the thing with Simmons is that he would swing really hard. And and the, the thing that made Simmons competent offensively is that he never strikes out. Ever, ever, ever. So even though he doesn't really hit the ball hard, he never strikes out. And so putting that many balls in play is his offensive value. Whereas Crawford, it's more of a I can draw walks and I can work a good at bat. But I just so infrequently see him impact the baseball. Uh, but it's fine. Like I'm, I'm super happy with him being the guy. Uh, if there are other more significant offensive contributors in the lineup, which hopefully there will be. Which brings mm-hmm. me to first base and yes. the other Gold Glove. Is, can you have two guys like that, especially at first so- Evan White is is such a mystery, man. And I just he's such a bizarre profile and such a strange path. Um and, and what he is now <laughs> impacting the baseball is not the problem with Evan White. And that's why with him you can keep dreaming and think, all right, this is a guy that can really, really, really do something special if he can get his contact rate or get his strikeout rate down to whatever X percent. And honestly, like, that's the kind of thing that just keeps giving me hope. Like, I, I – and he's going to have to get to closer to average because, yeah, I don't think you can have a first baseman no matter how good his defense is. And his defense is that good, by the way. Let's not lose sight that it is that good and it does make a huge difference on a team, even though I know people can scoff at first base defense. But I, I am optimistic that that he can he can become somewhat of a volatile but power-heavy slugger um, but the difference, it's so, it's tough because like, I feel like he's a few adjustments away from being like, when you have that kind of raw ability to hit the ball that hard, you are a few adjustments away from being like a, like a legit star. Um, but it's, it's more, like I would say it's more than a few adjustments because obviously if you're striking out 40% of the time, you're, <laughs> you got a lot of work to do. Uh, but I think he can salvage it. I, I have much more hope for him becoming a legitimate offensive threat. But uh, the season will be very, very, very telling for a lot of reasons. And this thing, how does a guy hit the ball that hard and miss the I'm, ball that often? Because he struck out, what? Yeah, yeah. And he was never that way in the minors. I mean, it's it seemed to be. There's been a lot of really good stuff written on it. Um, I mean, to me, not to to dunk on your question here, but it makes sense. The dude swings. <laughs> he swings. He swings ridiculously hard. And it became so mental for him uh, last year. Um, You could tell he was just had no clue what was coming. It wasn't even, it didn't even seem to be as much about pitch recognition uh, as much as just like he was so in his head about what was coming, what he was expecting, what he was looking for. He, it was, he was just in such a dark hole. Uh, Whereas, like, I don't think it's as much of necessarily a swing problem as much as it was just like a mental approach problem. So, um, so I don't know. But like again, the physical ability is there, and even even so far already in in the first few games and in spring training, like he was still hitting the ball crazy hard. And he had like a few like three or four game stretches last year. You know, I we had that series in Los Angeles where he really went off. Um, it's there, man. Like he's not. The, the difference is like people have seen him hit like he hit really well in double a it's just a tough tough task to uh to move up so i'm cautiously optimistic but it's certainly a long way to go for, with him so in the outfield is the real hope that the reigning rookie of the year in 20 like when it comes to 2023 is our <laughs> pretty <worst> much outfielder? <laughs> but i will say I do think that he is certainly underrated at this point because, like, I think he was so far off the radar because of the injuries. You know, going into last season and going into, you know, the end of September when he – or in 19 when he came up and hit six homers in 10 games, he was totally off all the prospect lists. Like – and I get that, right? With those injuries and with the numbers he was putting up, which again, a lot of it is just because Arkansas is impossible to hit in. Like, it's just like, all right, well, this dude's got two years of in- three years of injuries and 
has barely hit any homers in, in the minors. Like, why are we, what, what is to be excited here? Right. Uh, but we should not forget. I mean, he was, he was golden spikes. Award. you don't just win the golden spikes award. You can't fluke your way to the golden spikes award. Like that's, you are, have to be some kind of special player. And so while he is, he is a flawed player, that kind of talent usually figures stuff out more than people want to expect based on the numbers that they've had so far, based on the strikeout rate so far. Um, and so, yeah, I think he's going to whiff a lot. Yeah, I think he's going to maybe not, you know, run that high of a of a bat of a batting average at, at the time at certain times. But I think Kyle Lewis is awesome, and I I do believe that he's going to be a pretty steady All Star. Um, it's just, I don't know, but I, yeah, maybe maybe we are underrating him, um, and we should be giving him more credit. Hopefully, he's back soon, man. I don't want to <laughs> hope this injury doesn't linger because it's uh, miss having him out there. I mean, not every Golden Spikes winner that That's ends true. up on the Mariners That's figures it out. Uh, yeah, but I don't <laughs> want to bring him up because it'll just make me sad. Yeah, so. but that said, um, I would just I, – I, I think my, my main point is it is weird how quickly people were, were off of him, um, I guess. And to your point, Mike Zeno is good. Let's be clear. He's not – he's he, he listen, I know he never he, – yeah. He, yeah, he's not Golden Spikes – good he was not you know johnny bench good as we hoped but he is still a good player yeah that glove could carry yes. a lot that the, yes, the yes, bat yes. Couldn't. so we've talked about most of the guys on the team but who's the one that you're contrarian mm. about either someone you love that most people don't or who that's around. a good question so like all right, here I'll give I'll give a couple. I'll, I'll give I'll give two that I uh, that I'm a little bit. I'll give one that I'm like super in on, um, and then one that I'm 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 worried. I'm still worried. Uh, the one that I am very in on that I think people are. I mean, again, like now it's like it's it's mainstream stuff, but no, it is Thai France. I think Ty France is the real deal. Um, yeah. Defensively, eh. <laughs> you know, that's fine. He's I know. And like, honestly, DH, if he's going to DH, at least until, you know, they have a more obvious, then, then that's fine. Um, but I think Ty France is, is going to be a really good hitter. And I'm glad that he is getting the opportunity to prove that. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's another trade that just like, and I love Austin Nola, but that is one of that is an incredible job by the front office to identify him, develop him, trade him for four prospects. Like mildly traded. Anyone could have him. Like there is that is an incredibly impressive, you know, asset flipping, however you want to phrase it. Uh that said, of all the player development ones in recent years, I will say I am concerned about Tom Murphy. I'm worried that his really? and I'm fine him being the catcher right now, but I think catcher, if I had to say what position I and I and I do kind of like Terenz, catcher, I am most concerned slash curious the direction that it goes. Because I know that people, especially in the lookout landing community, think Cal Raleigh is and I agree he's underrated, but like how it kind of shakes out with him and Murphy's 30. So like, he's not necessarily a long-term play, but I, I am a little bit worried that his offense is going to be extremely exposed this year, which maybe is not the biggest deal in the world. But I think when we were thinking about the guys that they were like getting back this year, right? Like they didn't have Hanniger and Murphy last year and what Hanniger did in 18 and Murphy did 19. I was like, Oh my God, if they get these guys back, uh, I am a, if I have to pick one that I'm a little worried about offensively, it would be Tom Murphy. Now it doesn't really matter. He's great with the staff good framer, good defender. And that's fine. That's all we need. Right. Um, but I think there's some people who are like, Oh my God, look what he did in that small sample. I'm like, ah, okay, we'll see. Hopefully. Uh, and uh, yeah, but I don't know, man, I'm, I'm so, I'm such a positive. I, you think I could get through being a Mariners fan during this period and while also crapping on all the players all the time? Like, no, no, there are a lot of relievers that I am not excited to watch this year. And Drew Steckenrider is absolutely one of them. I could have told you that before he blew it the other night. That's like an easy one. Um, if you want my all-time 
the guys that I just could not fathom to watch anymore who, who in recent Mariners years, Brady Lale, for sure, who I think is maybe still in the organization. Sorry, Brady. Um, and then who was the, oh my God, I've already like blasted him out of my mind. It was so bad. Do you have any relievers that you like were especially like, I need to turn the TV off? Let me pull up. Um, there's like one in particular. Oh, right. well, Nestor Cortez Jr. last year was abominable to watch. But who's that was the rough. one? Uh... Oh, you know who it was? Nick Rumbelow. Bro, I couldn't handle that. I was yeah, just – that was that's... not for me. That was just – every time he came in, that was – he was in the trade too. He was in the original uh, Paxton trade maybe? Or no, I don't even remember what trade he was in, but – yeah, they've they've gone through some relievers that I uh, would rather not not have to watch anymore. That's thing, like you mentioned, the relievers. It's kind of like eh, I'm in shock a little bit. I kind of blocked out all the bad ones that have come through, <laughs> and I don't want to think about it. Whether it's waiver picking some guy up to watch him have an ADR. Oh, two you know what though? If I'm gonna if I'm gonna give another guy a little bit some more love, I think Masevich is really good. I'm in on him. I, he's yeah. also fascinating to me because he's a guy that DePoto traded away and then traded back for, which is hysterical. There's like five of those guys. Um, but yeah, I think he's I think he's really good. <laughs> I like him. And now it's just trying yeah, to figure that's out. Another, that's another challenge that they that they give us. That's why you have to appreciate Ty France. <laughs> and Evan White. Yeah, nice, simple. <laughs> Dylan Ty France, <laughs> Dylan Moore, Evan White. Let's go. These are easy. Uh, yes, I like it. Indeed. You mentioned the, the trio of pitchers earlier. If you had to pick one guy who's going to make it be like the borderline number one, number two, whatever, Ooh. Hancock, Kirby, Gilbert, who's it going to be? That's so hard. I think I'm definitely this is this sounds stupid because he's the closest and obviously has the most major experience. So it's only fair, but I do feel the best about Gilbert not being bad. Whereas like Hancock is the kind of guy that could absolutely, he almost certainly has the highest ceiling, but he's, he's also the kind of guy yeah. and you see this in so many other systems. Like, wow, his stuff's unbelievable, but he's, I don't get it. Why is he getting smacked around all like in the minors? He's, you know, striking guys out, but he still has like a five ERA. Hancock, I worry about that. Um, but, man, I feel like Kirby's underrated, too. Just because with him, it's like, all right. Right. So he had – it's very simple with, with George Kirby. Now, again, we, we've, we've literally seen him throw, what, three innings or whatever the hell it was in two years ago. Um, and it, it sucks that he's been having to – been shut up and down. Like, th those are the guys I'm worried about even more than the hitter's development, to be honest. Because it's just like, how do you catch up? But the thing with Kirby is it's like, okay – so he had essentially the best command slash control in the entire country and never walked anyone ever. So that's like a good start, right? You have that. But now he's throwing 99 miles an hour too. <laughs> it's like, it's like, all right, well that's, I mean, what the hell yeah. more do you want? Right. Uh, it's just so hard to say with such small samples. So it's like, it's I'm going to, I'll still say Gilbert, honestly. I think Gilbert has a better chance of being at least a number two than the other two guys of, of really reaching it. Cause I, I just worry that Kirby's going to throw like, I mean, he's throwing really hard, but I I don't think we know nearly enough about his his secondary stuff at all to really know that he's going to be able to like strike a bunch of dudes out in the major leagues. I think here we're just kind of like leaning into and embracing. I think I think he's going to be like the modern day Cliff Lee, where it's like he goes out mm -hmm. there and he leads rotation. He doesn't walk guys. Yeah, I mean, there's there's different versions of that because that, that's the like, hope at least. If you look at guys who put up insane strikeout to walk ratios in college and then in the minors, and Kirby still only barely pitched, but like if you look at that, you've got some of them become Shane Bieber, <laughs> and some of them become Thomas Eshelman. <laughs> so there's you know that's yeah. a pretty big range. So so uh, so yeah, so we'll see. So we, we will see which direction he goes. I just can't wait for him to start pitching in whatever level I may mean, be in Everett. I, I think it sounds like he's going to be in Everett, so that'll be cool. So, with you only mm -hmm. being a fan for eight, ten years, really, you don't have three decades no. of despair like most people have. 
What are what are some random highlights that stick with you as a oh, Mariners fan? That's another great question. Wow. So. so um it's funny because I have I have memories of very specific lowlights that were very stupid. Obviously, the Dylan Moore throw home is is you know the top of my list. Um, a couple years ago, which was really Omar Narvaez's fault, uh, but still probably the funniest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. Obviously, the Raul Banyas, you know, throwing the ball into the ground; those are great too. I have a very vivid memory of, of course, as an East Coaster, East Coast Mariners fan. You know, I'm staying up late for these games. Very vivid memory of a 14-inning loss to the Tigers where they, it was, I think, okay, let me see if I remember this. Basically, the, it goes 14 innings. The Tigers score in the top of the 14th. Dustin Ackley hits a double. I think, like, Justin Smoke is on first. Dustin Ackley hits a double down the right field line. Smoke tries to score first to home and gets thrown out, and that's the end of the game. Like, that, he would have been the tying run. And it was, like, 3 a.m. It was, like, yeah, it was, like, 3.30 yeah, a.m. for me. Yeah. And I was just, like, after they lost that game, I was, like, what am I doing with my life? This is terrible. Like, this seems not even – like, this is a, this is a joke. <laughs> uh, but, okay, other actual – oh, and then another, the other one of that is is the Joey Wendell double. I hate Joey Wendell forever. And this was in when, the, when they were in postseason contention. Um at the end of the 17th or sorry, 16, wait, wait, hold on. 16. Yeah. 16, 16, second to last day of the season, extra innings, Joey Wendell, go ahead, double in the top of the 10th. I will never forgive him. And he went like five for five that day. I think, um, yeah, Joey Wendell. Damn. Anyway, you asked me for highlights and I'm just giving you all the painful moments specifically. (laughs) Right. No, exactly. Well, I mean, exactly. we're Mariners fans. Like, uh, I don't know, man. Is, like right? the I, the Iwakuma no hitter was awesome. I mean, obviously the perfect game is whatever. That's that's not <laughs> that's not interesting. Uh, Zanino had a walk off homer in there that was really cool. Um, Carlos Piguero broken bat home run. It's a good one that I that I liked. Uh, the oh the JP Crawford play a couple years ago. Wonderful. That was just tremendous. That was so much oh, fun. Yeah. That was a really good one. I'm trying to think of other recent years. I mean, man, Diaz was just, he just had the run. Oh, and then here, okay, here's, here's a really good one was uh, the only time I've been to Seattle. So I've only been to what was then Safeco once. It was when we were doing road trips and we did a San Diego to Seattle road trip in 2015. And we went to see two games in Seattle and they were playing Tampa and we saw we sat in King's Court. Felix was awesome. It was basically like one of the last like Felix still looking like a, a great pitcher. So he was great. And then Austin Jackson hit a go ahead home run in the eighth inning. Yeah, awesome. I like love that. Austin Jackson. Austin Jackson had a go ahead homer in the eighth inning, and I was sitting in King's Court, and that was the coolest, coolest thing ever. And then even cooler than that was that was the same week that Fernando Rodney had blown like seven saves in a row. And so it was the first game that Carson Smith came in to close. And he came in and closed it out uh, against the Rays after Austin Jackson to go ahead homer. So that was my very, very positive Mariners. I, I was so, it was so great to have that experience like in the ballpark, the one time I've, I've been there. Um, so yeah. So there's some random ones. And I think ending on a positive Mariners memory, since there's not <laughs> that many of them since 2002, is probably a good place to let you go. Hey, but again, this is fitting. This is how this is how Mariners now. pod should be for me, especially today after I, you know, we didn't even have a game on <laughs> Sunday, which was bizarre. Um, but uh, but yeah, yeah. So uh, um, thank you for having me. This is this is awesome. So I, I appreciate it. I look forward to to hopefully. Yeah. Uh, some 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 good i just hope here's the other thing sorry last point last point here even opening (laughs) two and one against the fairly competent giants team great right but i'm i'm i just have to remember what 13 and one felt like two years ago right three years ago whatever three years ago 
And I'm just like that. And that was so different because for that, that was all these veterans, right? It was like Tim Beckham (laughs) and, and Edwin and Jay Bruce and like all these guys. It's like, why are they here? All right, great. They're 13 and one. This is very different, right? Because this is actually guys who we actually envision like being a part of the future. So if they start off hot this year, it's a lot more like personal and interesting and sustainable and cool. Um, But I just have to keep reminding myself what 13 and one felt like as we begin this season, if they do get off to a hot start. Yeah, yeah, it was. Oh my god, it went bad so fast. It wasn't even like, oh, it's like, oh man, another five hundred in in August. Like, nope, they're just out of it faster than they were in it. It was, it was truly, truly amazing. I think this week will be a very good test with uh, with the White Sox coming to town. That's that's a good baseball team. So we'll see how they can hold their own against them. Yeah. All right, man. Well. Thanks for coming on talking Mariners. Uh, before I let you go, you want to let us know where we can find all your great stuff, especially with the. Oh, sure. Yeah. So, yeah, not really change more, more of an addition. Or, yeah, addition. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, addition. so me and Jake, yeah. we, we do assessments BBQ on Twitter. Um, we do, we, we just joined uh, Fox Sports. We're going to be doing stuff uh, with Fox Sports Digital, mostly online, uh, written and video stuff uh, this season. Uh, we have a podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network called Baseball Barbecue, uh, which is once a week on Tuesdays. Uh, so you can check that out. Uh, we also, uh, for those, I, I don't usually plug this, but I'm in the mood. Uh, we do a podcast exclusively about Division Three baseball. So if that's your thing, uh, we are the one and only. We'd like to say, Ooh. if whenever we are insulting people's uh, schools and teams, we say, uh, oh, well, if you don't like us, you can go listen to the other D3 baseball podcast. Oh, well, you can't. That doesn't exist. So... <laughs> <laughs> um, so so we do that d3 baseball pod on twitter you can check that out uh and then i just started i for the first time me jake and i have been doing stuff together for this is our ninth season which is crazy uh but i i, I actually created my own twitter account so j underscore schusterman underscore for most i know the only reason i'm saying it on here because it will be 95 percent mariners because like you know, it's cool having a platform on Cespedes BBQ, but, and I do sometimes just, you know, let it loose and tweet big marm time or whatever the hell to, to, to however many followers we have. But I've decided that it would be nice to have a play, a safer space where I can just really just go off um, and really let all my Thai France love loose. So yes, uh, at J underscore Schusterman underscore. There you go. Awesome. Well, Make sure to follow all that. Thank you so much, man. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for joining us, Jordan.